Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. I want to see science serve a useful purpose to improve the standard of living for all people. Why is anyone fighting food advance? A very small percentage of the world's population is fortunate enough to have the luxury of turning down food. We've arranged a society based on science and technology. There was nobody understands anything about science and technology. You can't build a peaceful world on empty stomachs and human misery. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly biotechnology podcast that's not just about biotechnology. Providing information to help you change hearts and minds. Moving innovations to application with communication. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and a planet. I'm Kevin Fulta, and this week I'm speaking to you from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we have a really interesting show today. This time, not on biotechnology per se, but on labeling and the labels that are proposed for products and the labels that we see. I have with me today Colleen Pardecker, who is the Director of Communications at Elenco. Now, Colleen gave a beautiful talk at this conference. It was wonderful and really brought up some interesting ideas, and we'll talk about those later today. But the basic gist is that along with biotechnology, along with the Internet, has come this new push for information on labels uh, that uh, may provide some sort of uh, consumer-added information. Unfortunately, with that trend, companies have exploited this idea of labeling to differentiate their products around kind of artificial metrics and uh, have used it more as a sales approach rather than an informational approach. The problem is the push for transparency, authenticity, and clarity has really ended up in confusion and actually has made the issue of food safety and food labeling uh, much more confusing. So welcome to the podcast, Colleen. Thanks so much. It's great to be here today. It's really nice to have you here, Colleen. It was a really nice talk today. Your company has done a lot of work in analyzing consumer sentiment, mostly through focus groups and uh, other mechanisms. So are there any particular changes that you would like to share about what are the effects of labels and consumer sentiment? Absolutely. Well, we know that consumers have more questions about their food and how it's raised than ever. And we've seen that translate into um, increasing number of labels on the packages, trying to give the consumers the information that they want, but also to create that marketing differentiation and opportunity um, from a, a brand standpoint. Um, so, you know, really the label started more than a decade ago. We started to see, you know, no added hormones, hormone-free type 
type labels, and they've just continued to accelerate um, over the last few years. So we saw things with gestation stalls in uh, the pork industry for a while. Cage-free has become a big trend in eggs, um, antibiotic-free in poultry, but also starting to bridge into pork and some of the other species. Um, and you know, then starting to look at where might it go from here as those trends continue to accelerate, uh, what might we see? Um, you know, we're hearing a lot more about slow-growing chickens, about um, GMO-free protein. Um, so cows that haven't been fed uh, GMO corn, um, which is, you know, the 90 plus percent of our corn crop in this country is GMO. And uh, so that's a real concerning trend uh, that we might see in labels. Um, we're even starting to see things like vaccine-free uh, meats uh, in Europe and starting to see some social conversation here in the U.S. about um, whether or not we should vaccinate our pets. So all of these things are really blending together and uh, creating a very interesting consumer environment right now. Well, some of the trends are things like vaccine-free meats. And what this tells us is that you're giving an animal exposure to potential disease that could make it ill. And it seems almost kind of twisted that people would rather consume an animal that might be infected and diseased than something that was protected from disease. I really have a lot of trouble with how this makes any possible sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, from, you know, as an animal health company, our, our concern is the health of that animal. And, and really, the healthier that animal is, um, the better their milk or meat or eggs is going to be for us to eat, um, and the more efficient they are with their resources. So from a sustainability standpoint, um, that's a real concern of unintended consequences for some of these um, labels as well. If that animal... I mean, then there becomes the, the moral obligation of, of care and welfare of the animal. And if we're not doing our best to keep them healthy, um, that's a real concern. Well, that's a really important one because, uh, like Dr. Allison Van Enenem, who is a very well-known science communicator and certainly somebody who works as an expert primarily in cooperative extension, she'll go on her work runs and see animals, uh, namely cattle, in situations where they'll have an eye infection that the owners will choose not to treat, which means they patch it and let nature take its course. That may include uh, fly larvae getting infested or even losing the eye altogether. And to me, yeah, okay, you can sell it as antibiotic-free, but how does a consumer with a consciousness, with an interest in animal care, possibly tolerate not using proper medical treatments to help an animal like a cow that's giving milk. Absolutely. And, you know, we really have to stop and think about what's the concern behind that anyway, right? Why would a consumer think maybe I want an antibiotic-free product? And a lot of what we've seen as we talk to consumers is they think, well, if one package is labeled this way, and another package isn't, that other package must not be as healthy, as safe. And in the, you know, in the case of antibiotics, for example, that's just not true. Uh, you know, for uh, when you take milk, you know, milk is tested at multiple points along the supply chain to make sure that there aren't any harmful residues in that milk before it gets to the consumer. And in fact, if there are, a farmer can get a pretty hefty fine um, for contaminating milk um, with residues. So they have, um, a, you know, quite a 
um, motivation to make sure that that milk is is safe and healthy for us when it gets to uh, when it gets to our table. And so, but you know, the average consumer doesn't know or understand that. They're only looking at these labels, trying to figure out what's best for their family. And that's what's so sad. It almost seems like the consumer is being deliberately deceived in the name of higher sales. And especially when you start getting into basic food staples like milk, meat, and eggs, you know, things that already are scarcities in some homes, to start to cause consumer confusion around this really does matter. Because not only are you creating suspicion of perfectly safe food, you're also potentially raising prices on people who can't afford that. And has your organization taken any time to really analyze what are the effects on the poorest consumers with respect to these basic food staples? Yeah, you know, we haven't looked at that. Um, it's something we've been talking about because if you think about that whole production system, how much we have seen yields rise in the last um, two decades since we've had GMO uh, crops on the market. You know, when you can inherently protect that plant from an insect or make it resistant to a herbicide, um, those yields continue to get better. Um, so, you know, obviously we would likely get less yield per acre. And um, so crop prices would go up. It, it, you know, it has ripple effects all along um, the production system. Well, this is what freaks me out about the whole thing is that there are so many potential good uses of technology like uh, CRISPR and you know, gene editing. When you're looking at rather insidious diseases in swine like East African swine fever virus and PERS that look like you can really solve the problem. But imagine what a label would look like with a CRISPR-edited pig, you know. Right. Well, and, and back to, you know, ultimately when you look at that, if you think about crossbreeding, which is what we've done for years, right, and, and how those genes come together, um, which is very random, we don't have any control over that, versus something as precise as gene editing technology, where we really know exactly um, what's happening there. It's actually much more precise and um, informed science than what our traditional crossbreeding would be. Uh, but, but if again, if consumers don't understand that, it's a great opportunity for um, folks who have an agenda to, to um, create concern with the consumer. What are some of the trends that you're seeing? I mean, you mentioned some labels earlier, but what are some of the newest and maybe most unusual trends that we're seeing showing up on packages? Absolutely. Um, you know, everything from vegetarian, fed, cage-free, free-range. I mean, all of those are um, coming out in, in our labels today. Um, and, you know, the majority of animals are vegetarian-fed, right? They're, they're fed a grain-based diet. Um, so I find it funny when those sorts of things um, come up on labels. Or um, I recently saw an article about gluten-free water <laughs> or um, non-GMO salt right? Salt isn't even an organism, it's a mineral. Um, so I think these labels have really gone a little bit too far and are, are causing a lot of confusion uh, for the consumer today. Well, the vegetarian feed thing makes me nuts because we have chickens and ducks at home and their favorite thing is when you flip over a rock or flip over a board and there's a big juicy bug or a, <laughs> my favorite chicken got a lizard once and she flipped it in the air and she eventually ate it but it was like you know the coolest thing in the world for her and the other thing that 
when I hear about you know free range or things like that, it also bothers me because they really do like the safety of their shelter. And they like the coop. They go to the coop every night. They prefer to be indoors. Uh, they like to have the option to spend that time where they are most comfortable. They would prefer to be inside. It's safe, right? We keep them inside because it keeps them away from, from predators. We're able to control the temperature and the environment for them. Um, you know, when it's it's super cold in the wintertime, they have a nice warm barn. Um, you know, those things are all really important in managing the health, the well-being, and the comfort of that animal. And that's what it should be, right? But let's go back to labels. Like, do they really worry about animal welfare? I mean, I think of the last time I saw dolphin safe tuna, you know, that was being touted by the tuna industry as being dolphin safe. Not, and it doesn't work out so well for the tuna, but certainly is something they use as a differentiator to say why their product was superior to others. Well, we are definitely seeing um, the cycle times on these labels increase. So we had, you know, our original. Um, labels, you know, like organic and natural and some of those sorts of things. We're starting to see um, the number of new labels in those spaces decline a little bit. Um, and we're seeing them being replaced by these more specific free from labels. And also what we're finding, you know, with a lot of these, it's did the consumer really want it to begin with or is it a marketing opportunity? Because if you look at cage-free eggs, if you look at um, antibiotic-free chicken, you know, even um, recently we've seen headlines that there's a glut of organic milk. You know, most of these, um, techno- these, these claims get to around 10% of, of the market and um, then we're seeing a glut, of, a glut of them in the marketplace because the average consumer doesn't want to pay a higher price for a marketing differentiated label. Um, you know, families on a budget, multiple kids to feed. Um, it, when, when you're looking at double the price of eggs for a cage-free dozen versus a conventional dozen of eggs, it's pretty hard, um, you know, to, uh, to make that uh, increase in, in, in the budget. Um, so really, I think we need to start asking ourselves, what does the consumer really want and what is the consumer willing to pay for? And so, because as we, as we get to kind of, you know, the, the level of market demand, then we're seeing what's the next label? How do I differentiate again to gain share? And that's where we're starting to see, you know, the potential for some of these, um, a little more extreme labels to come. And that's the big problem for me is that, you know, fine, there's one born every minute. And if a company can cater to the fears or the suspicions or the lack of scientific acumen of a consumer, I guess I don't feel too bad about that in some ways. You know, I don't feel that people should be deceived, but a lot of people kind of want to be deceived. They don't ask critical questions. But the problem comes when you start to see the poor being affected. Because the poorest people among us, they see the labels, which automatically are synonymous with fear and risk, uh, even if there is none. And the problem is is that people who are in the most extreme food insecure situations either feel that uh, their food is substandard or, in worst case, their food is poison. And that's been really the themes that you see on the Internet. And is this really an issue, and do we see cases where labels are increasing the problem with food insecurity. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are quite a few studies out there that are showing that um, a low-income consumer, if they don't feel like they can afford organic fruits and vegetables, because we hear that's what's best, they're actually foregoing the purchase of fruits and vegetables, which is so critical in our diet. Um, but to say, if I can't have what I perceive to be the healthiest and the best, then I'm just going to go without. That's creating um, a, a, a real, um, uh, you know, concerning environment. Um, we, we need to uh, make sure that everyone feels good about the foods that they're able um, to purchase and, and put on their plate for their families. You know, we, um, our, our farmers work so hard um, to deliver a safe, wholesome product regardless of how it's produced, um, that we need our, our consumers to feel really confident in the foods that they, they buy and purchase for their families. You know, I, um, I do a lot of focus group research to understand the consumer and um, what's on their mind and what they think about in terms of our food production issues. And one of the things that frustrates me the most listening um, to those folks talk is to see moms that um, are... are physically upset about the fact that they can't afford um, to buy their kids organic milk or organic strawberries or you know whatever the dirty dozen list says they shouldn't buy conventional that's just not right no it's absolutely horrible and you know it, it don't even get me started i get a, really upset about the dirty dozen because i look at this, the problems that come from the poorest communities, the trends in epidemiology, the trends in obesity and diabetes, and a lot of this has to do with a lack of, at least as far as I'm concerned, uh, I believe there's some data to back me up here, is a lack of access to fresh fruits and vegetables, that you don't see Whole Foods building a new store in the poorest areas. I mean, these are affluent consumer goods. And if in, in the poorest neighborhoods, you're lucky to be able to get a banana at a convenience store. Um, yet, you know, you're, you, you're, you see the uh, folks in the NGOs going out and talking about the dangers of stra- fresh strawberries or the dangers of fresh whatever. These are not the dirty dozen. These are the foods that people should be eating and not being afraid of what's on their plate. I, I'm right with you. I feel your passion. Well, I, I, I know I get I get a little bit hot about that one. <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're here uh, talking on the Talking Biotech podcast with Colleen Pardecker from Alenco, and we'll be back just after this short break. Hi, everybody. This is Kevin Fulta, the Talking Biotech podcast. Back on June thirteenth, two thousand and fifteen. I started an experiment of trying to use a new type of media in order to disseminate scientific communication. That's this, the Talking Biotech Podcast. And whereas most podcasts fail by their 12th episode, here we are at episode 130-something and still going strong. And I really owe it all to the people who listen and the kind words and thoughts that people give us. It hasn't always been smooth sailing. There's been lots of rocky times and times when I've wanted to just say forget it just hang it up but it's been the support of people who listen along with friends like Paul Vincelli and all of our other uh, co-hosts let alone the outstanding speakers and, and interviewees who are here every week to talk to us you know it really means a lot to have uh, friends who are willing to talk to you about their beautiful science 
So as I always say at the end, tell a friend, write a review on iTunes, and as we move into year four, <laughs> I think it's actually getting stronger, and I think it's getting better. And maybe I don't sound as bad as I did in the beginning. Maybe. <laughs> but thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Uh, looking forward very much to the next episodes. Decker, she's the Director of Communications with Elenco, and... We're talking about food labels. And one of the good things about organizations like Elaineco, companies like Elaineco, is the investment they make in understanding consumer sentiment. What are consumers really thinking? Uh, you know, what is going through their heads? And this is really powerful stuff. Because guys like me, we can talk to people here and there. We can talk to moms in the store. We can talk about people, you know, out on the street. But it's the compendium of data that are analyzed in statistically reasonable numbers that tell us more about the labels. And so what are some of the trends? I mean, I know that we have had things like organic and natural. And How much are these resonating and how much do they really matter to the consumer? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. A few years ago, if you were sitting in a focus group, it was kind of this inherent truth that consumers had that organic or natural was best um, and that conventional or big ag was bad. We're really starting to see that change. We were um, in downtown Manhattan talking with a group of consumers, and, and we actually heard them say in the first few minutes, you know, organic is important and people need to have their choice, but we also have a growing population to feed, and we need to be careful about... Um, you know, all types of, of production. We need conventional production because it's higher yielding, because um, we can more sustainably feed this growing population. And I have to tell you, I nearly fell out of my seat when I heard that coming out of a consumer's mouth in the middle of New York City. Um, but we're seeing lots of of, of those starts of sh- uh, those those shifts start to happen, um, which I think is very exciting um, for agriculture. I think one of the other key things that we saw was you know consumers are more skeptical of everything; they question everything, um, and because of that, they're also less confident in what they thought they knew to be true about food. In particular, things like organic. Um, they are beginning to realize that that also is a marketing agenda, and, and they are more open to listen to agriculture and to hear all sides of the story so they can make their own decisions. And that's what's really sad for me is that I'm, I like to consider myself an advocate for organic agriculture, organic production. It's, uh, I work with some of the experts in the world in the area, and still I'll catch lots of grief for saying that. Um, to me, it's another way to solve the same problem. And out of one side, I'm catching flack because I uh, talk about the good things about biotechnology. On the other side, I talk about organic and catch grief for that. And it really is unfortunate that that has to happen that way. Absolutely. But this is what really bothers me about all of this, is that now you're using organic as a marketing term to really say this product is better than the other product because of the way we produce it when really the products are equivalent. You know, maybe minor differences one way or the other. The thing that the marketers are trying to do is install some sort of a non-existent halo because of the way it was produced. Now, there's a lot of merit in investigating things like cover crops and learning about intercropping and composting and all of these things. All of it has merit. And you see a lot of conventional agriculture adopting those strategies. The problem is, is that you don't see a, a whole lot of honesty when that term is used in marketing. 
And so this is where consumers really are confused. They're starting to see these uh, terms that have to do with production start to become synonymous with product. And I don't know that there's enough data or enough evidence for us to really be able to make that distinction. Absolutely. Cover crops are, are one of the things that we've added on our farm um, in the recent years to help boost the organic matter in the soil or conventional, you know, grow GMO corn and soybeans. Um, but that cover crop really can boost um, the healthiness of the soil, the vibrancy of the soil. But this is the point, is that there is a lot of good science that really does support the idea of different organic techniques, especially in uh, areas where maybe you don't even have access to chemicals or you choose not to use them. That's just fine. Not a problem. We know of good examples of allelopathy where cover crops can suppress nematodes or weeds or whatever, and good examples of how legumes used as cover crops can add soil to or add nitrogen to soil. All that is awesome stuff. The problem is when you start to see the label start to stretch the truth and make claims about healthiness of the food or healthfulness of the food. And that's just not backed up by science. So how much does this start to blend with the ideas of fake news? And are consumers really starting to see labels as an extension of fake news? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, definitely consumers are questioning everything more. At one point, as we're trying to, you know, talk to the consumers about who do you trust? Who do you go to for information? Who do you look for, look to for this type of thing? Um, you know, at a, at a point of exasperation, um, our moderator says, who do you trust? And really it came back to no one. I trust myself. I want the facts, I want the information, and I want to make my own decision. And, and that's where I think, um, you know, in agriculture, if we can have, if we can really lay out something like cage-free eggs. There are two sides to that story, right? The great thing is that the, the chickens have the opportunity to exhibit more of their natural behaviors. On the flip side, they also experience more aggression and um, from their peers. So, you know, there's, it, it's, you, you kind of, um, you can respond to that consumer with what they believe, right, that it's better, but it's maybe not everything we thought it was. So if we can give them the facts, then they can decide, does this make sense for my family or not? Well, what it boils down to is that people really have absolutely no clue about agriculture. Now, you know, I mean, I have chickens and ducks at home, and you see how they behave. And the males are not gentle lovers. <laughs> they like, you know, I mean, chickens throw around some rough trade, and so do the ducks. And I think that if you were to ask the female ducks if they would prefer a nice cage where they could be free from males, they may actually like that. I mean, that's why the ratio of females to males is so high, is because the males are extremely aggressive. They pursue the females, they pin them down, and they do their thing. And it and it's not necessarily... Males really, really are tough to each other. It, it's awful. The term pecking order is a real thing. That's that's where it came from, right? Is how, how chickens and ducks behave amongst each other. Exactly. But this just shows the rift between the consumer and the farm. And with that in mind, is this really an opportunity for us to do some education and possibly be able to use the label as a disruptive force to change the way consumers buy what they buy, Can, to, to sway consumer so, uh, choice in a scientific way that makes sense? Yeah. 
I think one of the big things we need to do is look at the positives on labels. Let's talk about what's in the food versus what's not in the food. You know, protein is one of the hottest trends in food right now. It's keto, low carb, protein snacking. Um, you know, I'm personally, I'm on a keto diet right now. Uh, it's high protein, high fat, low carb. Um, so I think we have a lot of opportunity to talk about the positives of what's in our food um, and bring consumers to it that way versus telling them what's not in the food, um, which is creating um, this, this confusion and this label fatigue um, that we're really starting to see among consumers. I think all the time about natural plant products and things like Dimboa, which is highly enriched in seedlings, especially things like grasses and corn. Um, it's a potent carcinogen, and it's present in those sprouts. And you find sprouters online for corn. Oh, man, how can they do this? <laughs> but the real thing I loved about your talk was that the phrase, let's make yes the new no. And let's start looking at optimistic messaging and labeling and talking about the good things that technology and genetics, what have they brought us? And that may be where we're going. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> how do we tell them, uh, how do we talk about, um, you know, products being more sustainable because we're raising the animal, uh, you know, if the animal's healthy, we can raise them more efficiently. So um, they better conserve and use their resources. Um, so how do we talk about animal welfare in a positive way? Um, how do we talk about all the good things that we're doing um, that's going into that product versus what's not? Consumers historically, you know, if you look at things like um, diet advice and that kind of thing, they want to be told what to do, not what not to do. <laughs> I know that. You know, as a consumer myself, I, I, I agree with that kind of sentiment. But most consumers are saying that they're really looking at things like honesty, transparency, clarity. And these are all ideas that labels are supposed to provide. But what actually happens? I mean, do consumers actually feel that they're better informed when they look at a modern food label? And what happens? I mean... We saw it come to life in all of our focus groups this fall is this concept of label fatigue. There's, we have added so many labels to the packages that the consumers don't even know what to think now. Um, so we heard consumers saying to us, there are times I just walk away because I don't know what's right and what I shouldn't buy. Um, or we've heard other consumers saying, I've given up looking at the labels. I just want to enjoy my steak. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think we need to, as we move forward, absolutely consumers have cons concerns and we absolutely need to address those. Um, but what are some, maybe some better ways that we can do that? Um, focusing on the positives and, and having, um, you know, more opportunities to engage and have dialogue. I think one of the things agriculture did for so long was, was to naturally defend our practices instead of explaining and engaging um, with consumers to acknowledge their concern and then accept the, the responsibility to answer um, those questions and engage in conversation. But, but part of the problem is the misinformed consumer. And misinformed consumers lead to misinformed policy. And misinformed policy starts to validate the misinformation that screwed up the consumer in the first place, right? So, like, look at the fact that when you go to Starbucks in California, you have to look at a warning label that says it causes cancer. And that's why I usually buy my coffee in Nevada and walk it in. I mean, it, it's, it's Proposition 65. It's policy that confuses the consumer even more than the label does because nobody knows what to believe. And, and so where do we go from there? I, I don't even know. 
everything in the wrong dose is fatal. Water is fatal in the wrong dose, right? <laughs> so, I mean, I think we've lost some context and pers- perspective that we need to get back into this conversation. Okay, so to get back in the conversation, I'm going to give you three hypothetical labels. Tell me if they're true or not. Okay. Okay, first one is food may be hot after microwaving. <laughs> My guess is that's real because somebody sued the company because they got burned. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. That's probably, <laughs> probably right. So let's try this one. Okay, ready? Human hair free. Ooh, I hope that's not real. Yeah, uh, it's not. I made that. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, a simple one is that that is a legitimate risk. I mean, that is something that could really yeah. end, end up in your food, right? I mean, that is something that could be tested and monitored and might be monitored <laughs> but yeah you know, what about this one what about um food may contain uh chemicals that have been shown to be have caused birth defects in the state of california i bet that's absolutely true it is absolutely true um it was uh pringles and so potatoes or potato products that are fried or heated I'd have to bear this warning label because of acrylamide, which is present in these vanishingly small amounts, yet still by the state of California is measured as a non-zero number. So they say this is a cancer risk under Proposition 65, which means, or, or well, birth defect or whatever risk under Proposition 65. And it, But it really shows the craziness of the labels. And how they really aren't informative, how they actually cause consumer fear and consumer confusion. And I really appreciate you spending the time with me today. If someone wanted to know more about you or more information about this topic, where would they look? Where could they go? Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to be here today. Um, you know, Certainly they can follow me on Twitter, at Colleen Parr. Um, the Enough Movement is a great source of information that talks a lot about some of these issues, the truth about labels and what's in our food. That's um, enoughmovement.com or on the Enough Movement Facebook page. And always um, Alanco Animal Health on Facebook and Twitter as well. No, that's really great, Colleen. So just to clarify, it's C-O-L-L-E-E-N-P-A-R-R. That's correct. Yeah, so just to make it clear. It's, uh, yeah, <laughs> double vowels, yeah. double consonants, yep. <laughs> yeah, Fanny Dooley loves Colleen Parr Decker. Yep. And um, it's a dated reference, but somewhere out there, a listener in area code or zip code 02134 just drove their car into a ditch. So, <laughs> so thank you very much, Colleen. Uh, this is the Talking Biotech Podcast. You know, we uh, urge you always to... Write a review on iTunes. It really matters. Uh, we have a lot of wonderful reviews. Going into our third year now, our fourth year, done with our third year, going into our fourth year, it only helps us expand our audience. Uh, write a review on iTunes. Share it with a friend. Talk about the beautiful things that we talk about here on the podcast. My name is Kevin Folt. I really appreciate that you listen. And uh, thank you again for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech. Sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, 
scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at collabra.app. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.